All right. It is the week of January 8th, 2023, and this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Ogier, and today we've got a lot to cover, including a lot of good deal, bad deal, and good business, bad business segments, starting with Dana White making his first MMA media appearance since his altercation with his wife on New Year's Eve. White made a fair amount of comments that were lauded and praised and some others that were lambasted and not really approved of. We'll take a look at whether or not this was the right PR move for White, the UFC and Endeavor, and the effects of his appearance and kind of talking about this openly uh, for the long term. Then we're going to talk about Bellator re-signing AJ McKee. Was it a good deal or bad deal from both Bellator's perspective and McKee's perspective? Sounds like he's going to be around Bellator for a while. Was it the right call for him as a fighter, not testing free agency more? Was it the right call for Bellator to spend what they probably spent on re-signing someone who had some issues at 145 and is now poised to enter the 155 Grand Prix. Lots to break down there. Then we're going to do our quick hits section. And lastly, we're going to cover MMA media rights in general and the landscape of media rights and how the UFC and ESPN renewal could be in a little bit of jeopardy. Lots of things going on in the media rights world right now, particularly streaming and its profitability. I'm going to break down some examples. We need to talk about DAZN's recent numbers. And then we're going to take a look at whether or not this could affect the UFC media rights negotiation that's coming up in a couple of years. So with that in mind, we got timestamps at the bottom as always. And let's go ahead and dive right in. All right. So first thing we're going to discuss today is Dana White's first MMA media appearance since the altercation with his wife on New Year's Eve. So since we last talked about this, uh, mainstream media has shown more of a light on this. You've had some more prominent journalists that aren't really involved in MMA speak out about the incident, call for White's reg- resignation. Um, it, it's kind of started to snowball a little bit. So I think in an effort to curb that, White did address the media, um, openly talk about how it was wrong what he did, that there's no excuse for it, that people should not be defending him, which is big because that was part of the criticism was you had a fair amount of people defending White's actions. Um, and he said, nope, shouldn't be doing that. You should be calling me out on that. And he he took ownership for the whole incident. Um, really owned up to it in a way that we haven't seen White do in the past, depending on certain criticism, right? He's sometimes deflected, said this is an issue. He really took ownership of this in a lot of ways. Um, he did not say that he should be punished in any way other than, oh, he's going to have to live with this for the rest of his life. And this, you know, what will his kids think? And, you know, he said before people don't come back for this. And now I might've lost respect from peers and friends and colleagues and media. And that's on me. He's not taking a leave of absence. He's not doing any of that stating that it would only hurt the fighters. If he's gone, that's going to hurt the fighters and the way things are run. That's not fair to them, which you know, depends how how you feel, if whether or not you want to buy that as true or not. Um, that's up to your own interpretation. But you did take some ownership here and tried to get out in front of it a little bit. Uh, the media questions, mostly softballs. Uh, the occasional hard question that came up or two, uh, once there was any sort of pushback, they, they kind of balked, which isn't unexpected given some of the media that were there asking the questions. But it did, 
warrant further criticism and further praise in some cases from media outlets um, regarding what happened. I know ESPN and Stephen A. Smith did a whole nother segment about it um, and went a little bit harder, especially after Stephen A. Smith was quite lenient, it seemed, on him originally. But what we are here to talk about today, given that all that happened, is whether or not this was the right PR tactic, right? So if you're Endeavor, if you are the UFC, if you're Dana and you're trying to get the slap league right up up and running, TBS did just push it back a week. They haven't canceled it. looks like they are going to go through with it, and we'll see the first episode on Wednesday. But it's something where as this has started to snowball, you had to make a call. Do you just remain silent, hope it blows over, or do you address it, try and own up to it, say, hey, a mea culpa, and let the media kind of die down about it? The way White handled this, I will say, what was a mixed result, right? Not punishing him himself in some manner, not saying he's going to donate to some charity or something of that nature, and just saying, oh, I've got to live with this forever, but still owning it, some good parts and some bad parts. And the interesting thing here is the way that this happened, and because it was such a candid white and and different tone of white that we have not seen in a long time. I think it did its job enough in MMA media's mind. Um, You see a couple of outlets still covering it, but a lot of the mainstream media has kind of, or MMA media rather, um, has kind of died down. You still have certain groups in the mainstream saying this is unacceptable. He needs to, you know, be removed. Um, But even that has died down a little bit where it was kind of the the hot story the week before, and now it's kind of faded. I think this mea culpa did what it was supposed to do. Um, Again, not doing some sort of charity work or, you know, stepping away and saying, or even just saying like, I'm working with Ari and, and Dever to figure out what may suitable, you know, issue here or, um, punishment, anything like that would have helped it a little bit more. But for the most part, it kind of diffused a lot of the louder voices saying, no one's commenting on this. You know, this is an issue. Um, it, it, it did its job taking air out of the steam that was, hey, White needs to resign right now. Not that there aren't still people still out there clamoring that, but it it definitely deflated a lot of the momentum. And that's what you want something like this to do, right? Um, White didn't come out here and deflect and say more inflammatory things that really caused more of a stir. The most inflammatory thing he said was basically like, what is he going to do for punishment? Oh, I've got to live with this. But even then... It was disarming enough that it, it seemed to seem to put the situation in more of a that happened. It's a blemish on his record. If there's more incidents of this, this is a problem. But are we going to keep covering it? Is it going to keep getting clicks? I don't know. It, it doesn't seem to be nearly as potent as it was a week ago 
And that's what you want in this situation. You want this to be a, we acknowledge it. We say, we're sorry, let's move on. If you're white endeavor, UFC, TBS, right? You want to say this sucks, but we're moving on. And in classic MMA fashion, that's how this works, right? This isn't basketball. This isn't NFL. This isn't a sport where, you know, soccer, where you have way more eyes on it. So you can't just kind of do this mea culpa without ramifications. It's niche enough still that you can pull something like this off. And I think white did it from a business perspective. I think they're probably in the clear. I would not be shocked if in the next two to three weeks, yes, you still have a couple of groups saying, okay, he should be removed. This is unacceptable. But for the most part, people are just shrugging and saying, whatever that happened, it's over. And you know, the first UFC card of the year is coming up. Uh, you've got a big pay-per-view coming up the following weekend that will kind of, again, speed things along from taking the focus off of white onto the fights and fighters. Cause it's been a while since we've had a UFC card. It, the, the sport is back, so to speak, right after it's break. I would also not be shocked if you don't see Dana in the post-fight press conferences as much the next couple of events, but I really feel like it did its job and what it was supposed to do, this PR press conference. So I think this is good business for White, the UFC, and Endeavor, and TBS. Um, we'll see how the slap league ratings go. I mean, if they end up with some strong numbers on Wednesday, then they're fine, and then you know everything is good. If it completely tanks, maybe it could be attributed to White. Maybe it's other things, like, for example, just running a slap league. But... Um, it was kind of near perfect with keeping White's image of, okay, I still want to be involved. I'm not going to be reprimanded too much, but I am going to own up to this and say, don't defend me. It walked that line nearly perfect for what it was trying to accomplish. Could have done a couple things better, but yeah, it did its job. And in this sport, that's niche enough where you're not going to have ESPN talking about a bunch, especially since they are a media rights partner who pretty much openly told at least one writer, it seems that they don't want coverage of this and negative, you know, connotations around all of this circulating. Um, it, it seems like he kind of got away with it, right? If you're, you know, looking at this from a outsider perspective, if that happened in the NFL, like if Roger Goodell slapped his wife, that man would be so far gone and it'd be plastered everywhere. But MMA still niche enough. You can get away with this kind of stuff. And you had great points from prominent members of the MMA media, um, Helwani, Luke Thomas, all those people coming out and, and making really great points about this whole situation. But the truth is the majority of this fan base doesn't care that much. They really don't. And, or they may say it's wrong. It's messed up, but they truly believe white is irreplaceable. They want him to stay right. It's, it's, I said this last week, Dana white is the Vince McMahon of MMA. It will take a lot more to get rid of him. It will take a lot more for, him to be removed or brought down or anything like that because it's niche enough and it's the fight circus 
that not enough mainstream outlets care. And there's not enough visibility outside the MMA community and the MMA community, while they mostly find it repulsive, also like Dana White and they want White to remain in power. So there you go. In terms of where this goes moving forward, I give it two or three weeks before we never talk about this again. That's where I'm getting. That's the kind of vibes I'm getting here. Um, you'll still have certain groups bring this up and call this out as an issue, but they will be in the minority, in my opinion, and it will probably be just, yep, that happened once over and done with. That's what I would guess. Let me know your thoughts on the situation. If you think that White's appearance was enough for you to kind of move past this, if you think that others We'll move past this. Um, again, we haven't heard any sponsorships being pulled. We haven't heard any any ramifications from business partners, which would be, I think, the biggest block. If all of a sudden you have DraftKings or a couple other people pull out, then you're in trouble. But I, I mean, sponsors and, and partners and vendors haven't said a peep about this. I think they probably don't care for the most part. And I think they're probably satisfied given White's apology and where the media cycle is that they're like, nope, this will blow over. It'll be fine. That's my thought on it. Would love to hear yours. I think they pulled it off, honestly. I think they really did. All right. Next up, we have Bellator re-signing AJ McKee. Is it a good deal or a bad deal? So it was announced that AJ McKee had re-signed a multi-year, multi-fight contract with Bellator. Um, some details on this, I couldn't get some details when I probed around, but McKee himself kind of brought up some of the details of the contract on um, Ariel Hawani's MMA hour. Seems to be a six-fight deal. Um, in terms of the number of years, that wasn't really revealed, but McKee did kind of reveal that he didn't test free agency too much, that he kind of wanted to make it work with Bellator. It seemed like he wanted to stay, and... They were able to get it done before announcing the lightweight Grand Prix, which is, one would assume, good for Bellator and McKee. But let's break this down from a couple of ways. Um, first of all, on the McKee side, this was a guy who, when he tore through the featherweight Grand Prix and he finished Pitbull in the way he did, there was a lot of fanfare. There was a lot of holy crap, this guy's the next big thing. And it was interesting in that you saw a lot of media talk about how it was surreal if you were there, if you were at the event, which I believe was in the forum in LA. Um, it was definitely in California somewhere. I think it's the forum in LA. Uh, you know, if you were there, it was, it felt like a Conor McGregor moment, right? Where this guy's gone in, He's just torn through everybody and he's knocked off arguably the best Bellator fighter. I mean, it's it's hard to even argue it. I mean, Patricio Pitbull is pretty much almost unanimously considered the best Bellator fighter. Um, and you've knocked him off in such fashion that it's, whoa, you know, this is undefeated, insane. This guy's going places. But something I pointed out and a couple others did when this happened is in the MMA community, it was big and there were a lot of waves, but it didn't ripple that far, right? You did not see this show up on 
some of the news outlets that are kind of that in between, right? Like I, I would say like CBS sports is one of those things where if they're covering something, it's kind of leaking into the mainstream, um, New York times, just because they cover it occasionally, same type of thing, but you didn't see that. You didn't see a ton of, you know, trending on social media. You didn't see people like losing their mind and being like, whoa, who's this guy? You saw the MMA community be like, this is amazing. But outside of that community, not a lot of fanfare, um, which is not to say that had he kept winning, it wouldn't have, you know, kept building, but it, it wasn't wasn't a McGregor moment in the sense where the minute McGregor starts his Aldo, he's a crossover star. Like he, he's arguably a crossover star beforehand. Then he starts his Aldo and it's, I mean, he's everywhere, right? So this instead felt like it could be the beginning of a crossover moment for McKee. And McKee said, you know, in the build up to that fight and afterwards, like, yeah, I want to test myself and look at the UFC and all of this. He then goes on to rematch Pitbull in a very, very boring fight where he loses, right? Um, and it kind of deflates his star a bit. It's whatever. He's mad about it. He says he wants to go up to 155. He goes up to 155. And now, re-signing, he's excited about 155 going through the Grand Prix, but says that he really didn't, he wanted to make it work with Bellator. That, to me, is also interesting. I wouldn't be shocked if McKee got some indication that after his loss to Pitbull, especially the way he lost, um, didn't hurt his, you know, offer from someone like the UFC or PFL or whatnot. I'm sure PFL would have loved him. Um, but UFC, it seemed like is where he wants to go because when we talk about crossover superstardom, the UFC is really the only jumping point right now. It's the only proven one. I know a lot of people wanted to say that Kayla Harrison was going to be the crossover star, all this stuff, but she, she wasn't, there was never any indication outside of that hardcore bubble. Right. And then she loses to, uh, Larissa Pacheco and, and you know, that's deflated her a ton despite her being a huge free agent signing and them looking like they're going to do Nunez versus Harrison before Nunez loses to Pena outside of the MMA bubble. She wasn't there. And Harrison was at the UFC. If, if again, nothing is hundred percent confirmed there, but it's easy to draw those inferences that Harrison was there in free agency to challenge Nunez should Nunez beat Pena. Um, and because again, that didn't really happen, it, it kind of deflated her. She goes back to PFL to kind of, you know, try and build her own pay-per-view division. She didn't sell well at all headlining the 2022 pay-per-views. I mean, 10,000 buys is what we're hearing. I mean, that's, that's not great. Right. So you circle back to why was Harrison then even looking at the UFC if she's supposedly this crossover star? It's because she's not. It's because she needed Nunes and to beat Amanda Nunes to become the next crossover star. Because think about it this way. Let's say Nunes beats Pena. Harrison goes to the UFC and then starches Nunes, right? Nunes has her performance that she had against Pena against Harrison. That catapults Harrison quite a bit. She's somebody that trained with Ronda Rousey. 
She's apparently got the personality and, and buzz already. That kind of launches her maybe into crossover stardom because the UFC is the only place right now where you can cross over, at least proven. I can't think of a single Bellator fighter that has crossed over into the mainstream except Keith Lee, who is Kevin Lee's brother. And that's because he's doing something completely different with his food stuff, right? That I mean, he, he could not be a fighter at all. It has nothing to do with Bellator. And he could be making the ground that he's making on that. But in terms of being a crossover face of the sport, the UFC is the only place where you can do that right now. If it was going to happen with another promotion, it would have happened with McKee when he beat Patricio Pitbull. I firmly believe that because it did feel like a surreal moment. It did look and mimic so many things that happened with McGregor's rise. And yet there was just not crickets, crickets from mainstream. And, and MMA media was, you know, saying this is awesome. This is crazy. But MMA media also tends to get in their own head about stuff, right? They're the same people that said Harrison is going to be this massive star. And there's, and McKee is going to be this massive star. And neither panned out. And it wasn't hard from an outsider looking in or a casual fan because they'd look and say, who is that guy? Where does he fight? Oh, he looks good. I mean, could he beat Conor McGregor? Could he beat so-and-so? Could, could Harrison beat Nunez? I mean, UFC's brand and face is too big. It is the only place that you you jump into really mainstream superstardom. So McKee re-signing with Bellator to me, I mean, he's making a lot of money. He said that, which is great for him. But that also, in my opinion, shows that he would prefer to get that guaranteed money, be in a place where he knows he'll be treated like a star. And while he may not, again, make the waves that he hypothetically could have made if he beats Patricio and then hops to the UFC and then kind of does his thing. At the same time, he, he he's kind of reprioritized things. And I'm sure the second Patricio Pitbull fight helped him do that, right? So is it a good deal or bad deal for him? Um, I'm going to say it's a good deal because he's probably making money that not a lot of fighters will make. And he's going up against competition where he's probably more the favorite. He's the bigger fish in a small pond, which is there's nothing wrong with that, right? Um, he'll make his money. He'll be in another million dollar tournament where he's got a very good shot at winning that million dollars, which is more money than a lot of UFC fighters make. And he has very little risk because even if he loses here and there, he's still going to be a face of Bellator for quite a while, right? There's not enough new up and coming talent in Bellator that is challenging McKee's status as being one of the top stars. And I don't think there would be for years. It would take more of a build for certain people. I mean, maybe you get some prospect out of left field that all of a sudden is just cruising through people like McKee did. And it's like, well, but even McKee, Doing that, it took him a couple of years to get to that status. So it, it kind of solidifies him as a star in Bellator and within the hardcore MMA community and gives him an opportunity, again, to go win another belt, to potentially rematch uh, Patricio Pitbull at 155, all this stuff. 
And if he loses, well, he loses, but the risk and downside is far lower in Bellator than it is the UFC. If he goes to the UFC on a 70 and 70 or 80 and 80 contract, you know, a la Will Brooks, and then has some tough fights, can't quite get it going, his stock will drop and it will be, you know, he, he won't make as much money and he might get cut. If he's having entertaining fights, he's doing that great. But if he's having fights like he did against Pitbull the second time around, it could be bad news for him. So far less risk and a guaranteed reward that is still very substantial. I think it's a good good deal for him. For Bellator, it's a little bit trickier because you've now committed probably multi-million dollar deal to someone um, over six fights, which is great. That is a staple of your promotion, but... Is he going to be able to draw the numbers you want? Is he going to be able to be a face of the promotion promotion in the way where um, he, he's going to bring in enough revenue and attention to Bellator that it offsets the cost of his deal, right? Because that's the end goal with all of these guys is we pay you X amount because we want you to bring us more than what we're paying you. We want a profit off of you. Can AJ do that? I don't know, to be honest. Um, the rise in Bellator crossover was great. And, you know, Bellator obviously swept that. So that's a big deal. But I do not know that there will be enough attention on McKee moving forward that the revenue they get from his sales of, of merchandise or tickets or ratings offsets that deal. You don't want to lose a big name necessarily to right if you're Bellator, though. Um, even if it is a loss, you, you want to have people you can point to as this is a star, this is a legit fighter we have to keep your brand reputation up to a certain level. So I don't know. I'm going to say it's mixed. It, time will tell whether it's a really good deal or bad deal, but I'm going to say for right now, um, it's a mixed mixed bag on this more risky for Bellator's end for sure. Uh, let me know what you think about this whole thing. Do you think resigning McKee was the right move from Bellator? Do you think McKee should have kind of risked it for, you know, a potential greater reward in the UFC exposure and championship? I'd love to hear your thoughts on all that. Um, but yeah, it's good for McKee. I think mm, kind of eh for Bellator, depending on where things go from here. All right, next up is our first quick hit segment for 2023. First thing we're going to talk about is the California Legislative Women's Caucus is calling for the immediate dismissal of Dana White. Uh, they released a statement saying, given Mr. White's previous remarks against domestic partner violence, we believe that Endeavor and the UFC shared this commitment to safety, respect, and accountability. And an open letter to, this is an open letter to um, Endeavor and RA Emanuel. Uh, you yourself have written extensively about the need to speak out and act when we see things that are not in line with our values. And then goes on to say, and yet we have seen the video of UFC president Dana White, where he strikes his wife at New Year's at a New Year's Eve celebration with a closed fist. We were appalled. It was alarming to say the least. In the day since the video was released, you have remained silent. Your continued silence speaks volumes as you once wrote silence and inaction are not an option. So, this is a, a state caucus, too. We're not talking about, um, obviously, California. But, I mean, there, you'll see things that say 18 senators, blah, blah, blah. That's all California state senators that are signing off on this. Again, as we talked about earlier, um, 
despite white coming out and making his comments, I don't think this is going away. There will still be groups that want his removal, but given the larger perception in the media and how they seem to have started to move on, I don't think anything like this really causes big backlash. Um, it would take something along the lines of the California state legislature imposing some kind of law or, or issue against them, which they're not going to do. Um, this is this is just a kind of grandstanding like, hey, this is wrong. We think you should remove him. Let's bring attention to this um, to kind of you know solidify their views and, and satisfy their base a little bit. I think it's mo mostly political, but also probably from a moral standpoint, too. Either way, I don't think this really goes anywhere. Um, we'll keep an eye on it for things like this. If you see a lot of this stuff coming out, again, it could snowball into an issue for white. But I, I think where we stand now, you're going to see a couple of pockets of people saying this is ridiculous. He needs to be removed, all this stuff. And that'll be that. I, I don't see any real action coming out of it. Uh, next, we're going to talk about something that good friend of the show, Cole Shelton, uh, follow him at at Cole Shelton 91. If you don't already, he's, he's got some good insight, get some good breaking news. Uh, he spoke to an Alberta, um, an a AGCO, uh, which is Alberta and um, Ontario uh, Gaming Commission up in, in Canada with all the James Krause stuff and what have you. And he spoke to them this past week and reiterated that their last update from AGCO is aware of UFC statement uh, is encouraged by their commitment to integrity, protecting the betting public by providing the necessary safeguards against the risk of insider betting on event and wagering integrity is a high priority to the GCO. We recognize the steps, recent steps taken and are committed to engaging with Ontario's gaming industry, UFC, the OLG, and iGaming Ontario to ensure that the UFC has the necessary betting integrity framework in place, in particular relating to wagering by UFC insiders. So... This is kind of a blanket statement that in not so many terms is, you know, nothing has changed about reinstating UFC betting in Ontario, but, you know, we are looking forward to working with them, getting the right safeguards in place. Basically sounds like UFC needs to do particular things that the AGCO wants in order to get betting back in Ontario, but until that's done, it's it's not going to happen. So no movement there. That is still some fallout from the Kraus situation. Um, as I mentioned last week, I think that's also starting to mostly blow over or at least, at least focus more on just Kraus rather than it being more of an organizational issue. Um, I know there was a video circulating, uh, you know, talking about the UFC has a gambling problem, had some good stuff in there. I may rebut it again at some point because um, it, it missed some key points and key assumptions, in my opinion, or at least I would challenge some of those just from an academic standpoint. It was a good video uh, if you haven't seen it look at it, but some of the assumptions there, I'm, I'm not so sure about. Um, but in terms of where Ontario is reinstating UFC betting still, still doesn't look like it's happening anytime soon and not without internal changes in the UFC that I'm not sure they'll be willing to make depending on what they are. So keep an eye on it, but sorry for all y'all living in Ontario, wanting to bet on UFC fights. Can't, can't do it as of right now. Um, last thing for our quick hits is that one championship has signed a deal with monster energy so if you watched uh, one on uh one fight night six which was uh, super bone versus alazov um great event 
fantastic event if you like kickboxing and stuff especially but um they had the big old monster logo right in the center of the canvas just like they did for the ufc for so long um this press release stating global energy uh actually this is sportsbusiness.com but it has part of the press release in there um but global energy drink monster energy has secured a multi-year partnership with mixed martial arts promotion one championship becoming the organization's first ever official energy drink partner agreement will commence january 13th as we just saw um, as part of the agreement monster energy will have prominent branding in the u.s and asia primetime events broadcast live to over 170 countries across one social digital platforms uh etc cetera, etc cetera. circle canvas along with exclusive branding for the fight of the night and action replay segments so We've seen that before in the UFC too, where it's like brought to you by Toyota tires. Here's the, you know, whatever part of the fight in the UFC, right? That's just part of the branding. Um, we are thrilled quote. We are thrilled to welcome monster energy as our first official energy drink partner said Chatri Yadong, one championship chairman and CEO one championship only partners with the best in the world across every business unit. And monster is a clear industry leader for energy drinks and alternative beverages and professional sports. Um, they also, it also mentions here in this article, they recently secured a sponsorship deal with insurance company, Prudential Singapore and brand activation will be officially launched, uh, at the upcoming fight nights in March 25th in the Singapore indoor stadium. So big deal because it is a, a big name for one to sign, um, similar to PFL, right? They're getting these sponsorships that are bringing in good money. I believe this one's around, this is what I've heard. Um, it's the type of things you love to see as an investor if you're investing in one and if you want to see one's brand one's brand grow right because this is where you start to make the money as we've seen ufc these partnerships and sponsorships media rights deals are where you really really get your revenue and having one who we know through their finances has had some issues secure something like this shows that they're starting to turn the corner or at least make some moves that may indicate that they are getting closer to a more profitable model. Now, I'm not saying that profitable, mo profitable model is coming anytime soon, given what we know from their losses and the amount they're spending on marketing, but it's, it's a positive step. So we'll see where it goes. I still think the first USA card is going to be, um, one of the biggest tests, if not the biggest test for one. Um, but, you know, we will see how this goes. We don't have one's viewership numbers. So we can't say if, if viewership is trending in the right direction or not. But it, it's going to be interesting. One's trying to make a pivot here, especially as the macro environment changes, which we'll talk about in a sec. Um, they, they're, they're trying to make some positive moves and it looks like they're su being successful, at least on some fronts. So those are the quick hits for today. Let me know if you have any questions, concerns, if I missed anything, let me know, uh, on that as well, but that's our quick hit section. All right. Last segment for today, arguably the most important one, depending on what your preferences are. Um, but I felt like today we needed to talk about media rights deals and the greater macro environment for those right now because there are some big, big shifts occurring. And it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with media rights deals, specifically the UFC's media rights deals with ESPN. Um, some information that has, has come out over the past couple months, right, is that as of right now, streaming is not making 
a lot of money. I mean, most linear cable is still also not making money, but it, television in general is shifting. And this has been happening for a while, but it seems to have sped up quite a bit, at least based on some of the financials, um, where some of these media deals are great for a particular promotion, right? Like say uh, UFC or in wrestling's case, WWE, sure, AEW, you know, all that stuff. But the entities paying for their media rights are losing a lot of money. Um, some examples of this, right? So I, I just mentioned pro wrestling, and I swear I won't be on here too too long, but it's important to note is um, you've got Friday Night SmackDown, what is, you know, the flagship program right now for WWE. Pretty consistent viewership around 2.2, 2.4 million, you know, viewers every week, somewhere in that range. And we're hearing, which this was talked about a month ago, but, you know, important to bring up again, and it's getting more focus again, is we're hearing that each year, Fox, who is paying for these media rights, is losing more and more money. Um, I think they lost $145 million last year. They're expected to lose $155 million this year. And that's what we call a loss leader, which loss leaders are products or services you have or that you pay for that you know are going to be a loss on the books. But due to the partnerships or um, the prestige of it or what have you, you know, due to other synergistic effects or what you believe are other synergistic effects for your business, it's worth that being a loss so that other things can come in place to, in the greater scheme of things, lead to more money. That's that's kind of the gist of loss leaders. You pay knowing, okay, it's probably going to lose money. It will either turn around at some point or it will help us make partnerships or deals that outweigh whatever we're paying for it. But in this case, as it continues to grow, um, at least on you know Fox WWE's deal, there's a lot of speculation of will WWE get the rights increase that they want? Because obviously they got a ton of money from uh, Peacock and, and from Fox to do this deal and do these deals. And when they come up for renewal, they're going to want more. Same thing applies to the UFC, right? We've heard about the UFC renegotiating their rights um, in several international deals over the past couple of years. They've been very smart about it, where money was still flowing. They would go to London, have a huge show there, and then re-up their media rights deals for double what it was. Um, again, when Wei Li Zhang became champion, beating Jessica Andrade in China for the, you know, the first time, um, almost that same day or next day, UFC goes into uh, a discussion with, you know, China's media rights group there, ends up getting double what they had on the books before. UFC has been very strategic about this for international deals. For ESPN, we've heard that they expect to kind of double this deal or get near double this deal when the media rights come due and that there was a lot of appetite for this. But again, all of that assumption and prediction was dependent on key assumptions about the macroeconomic environment. And if you haven't been paying attention, 
things are starting to fall in terms of not into global recession territory yet, but there's there's a lot of fear around that coming. And there's a lot of indications that things are slowing down. Um, you've got major tech players, Amazon doing two rounds of layoffs, Salesforce doing layoffs, Goldman Sachs doing layoffs. Um, almost every day you hear about a certain, especially in the tech sector and some of these other sectors, which I think is just kind of the first domino, you hear about these layoffs and what's going on. Um, that doesn't bode well for the future. And I've talked about this last year. We've been on a crazy bull run market for so long. It has to pull back at some point. There has to be at least a correction, but more and more, it looks like we're headed towards a harder landing recession. Um, when that hits, how bad it will look, we don't know. But it seems to be starting to turn that way. And when you look at Disney, right? Um, that That's a whole nother bear. And, and before we get into Disney, even DAZN, right? Story came out, blue from Bloomberg um, about DAZN in 2021, losses widened to $2.3 billion. Operating losses were at $1.36 billion. And part of that was they were trying to go after particular rights fees, and all of that, but they had loans where their interest jumped from 10% to 30%. Um, and, and a ton of it was just losing money on the streaming platform. And, you know, uh, Len, Blav Blavatnik, the, the billionaire behind DAZN, right, has, has kind of said he's, he, he's indicated in the past he kind of wants to be done with this. Uh, it's lost $6 billion since 2016. It, it hasn't turned the right corner. And part of the reason they've stuck around is, well, you still got the environment. We're going to get those, you know, top soccer rights deals. We're going to try and move into U.S. sports deals, which didn't work out for them as much. But that's still what they really want to do. Um, it, it's, it's going to be interesting. YouTube TV and, and Google buying up Sunday ticket, right? The Sunday ticket NFL rights, that's going to be a loss leader for them. I would imagine to get more subscriber growth so that hopefully they stay around and they can eventually turn it, turn it around. But the macroeconomic environment is starting to go against this and money and investors are, are going to pull back would be my, um, you know, be my guess. And when it comes now to Disney, they had a real rough Q4 2022. Um, you had Bob Chapek, uh, or Chapek replaced and ousted, as we mentioned last time, through kind of a Sunday night coup so that Bob Eager was reinstated. Uh, on their Q4 earnings call, almost every analyst reduced their price outlook. So you have a target price of, you know, which little background there, analysts generally go in and say, you want a buy rating where I would target to buy the stock at this price. I think it's going to go up to that price. You should buy it now, et cetera. Um, all of them kind of revised their look down from 130 or $120 down to 90, 80, which essentially says like, yeah, they're not going to make nearly as much money as we thought. And their, their forecasts and expectations for Disney was way off. A huge part of that was that while Disney Plus gained 12.1 million subscribers and they're up to 164 million total all that their direct to consumer or streaming unit recorded a quarterly operational loss of 1.47 billion more than double the 630 million reported in 2021 
So this is for 2022, obviously. Um, important note in that Q4 earnings report is this line in particular. Uh, the decrease at direct-to-consumer was due to higher losses at Disney Plus and to a lesser extent, lower results at Hulu and higher losses at ESPN Plus. Now, just how I mentioned SmackDown was a loss for Fox, who is paying WWE money, which right, gain for them, loss for their Fox. Same thing seems to be true with Disney and the UFC, where Disney is paying all this money to the UFC, all this guaranteed revenue to UFC, and yet ESPN Plus losses are still higher than expected. Um, that, again, gives you an indication of Things start to go bad everywhere where now you've got to cut costs. You've got to really refocus your, your, you know, uh, strategy to weather a storm. Something like UFC rights, you're going to want them, but are you going to pay double than what you're paying now? If they're already at a loss and then things get worse for you in general, because keep in mind a global slowdown will affect Disney parks, will affect, you know, their linear network, TV network has already kind of dropped near off a cliff. I mean, they are hurting right now and they can still turn this around, but paying double what they're paying the UFC right now isn't going to help with that. It's only going to hurt them and hurt their prospects. Um, we also don't know exactly what's going to happen with Bob Eager in place again, but I mean, right. If you've got to save a company and you're starting to lose money, things are starting to trend downward. And all indications are that the greater global economic situation is only going to get worse. Are you going to pay double what you're paying now for another five, six, whatever years on something that already loses you money and that will only cause you to lose more money? It's interesting. For one, I think just as a side note, you can expect another ESPN plus price increase, another Disney bundle price increase sooner rather than later, because that's how they really end up making money on this is you end up, uh, you know, charging and <laughs> charging more. I, I, I'm pretty positive. That's part of the reason why UFC pay-per-views have kept jumping and jumping and jumping. Everyone's blaming the UFC or whatever. I'm pretty sure it's because. Disney, especially dealing with what he did and now he's out, um, is trying to turn a profit and trying to, to cut losses, reduce those losses until eventually it turns a profit and showing shareholders that. So the next logical step is, okay, you've already raised pay-per-views to $80 a pay-per-view for the, for the UFC. You're probably going to start raising ESPN Plus to, I wouldn't be shocked if by 2023, end of 2023, 2024, you're looking at 10 10 to $15 range for ESPN plus alone and Disney bundle going up to 20 something. I really wouldn't. I know that sounds like a lot, but trust me, I, I really wouldn't. Um, got 164 million subscribers, an extra five, $10. That's huge, right? That's 1.6 billion. That offsets a ton of your, that, that you do a $10 raise and everybody sticks around, which wouldn't happen. A lot of people would drop it. You have 164 million subscribers. You do a $10 price raise and everybody sticks around. You've now covered your operating losses and you are in the green. 
I mean, again, you've got to renegotiate the UFC rights deal. So you've got to kind of weigh, okay, how many people are sticking around just for the UFC? If we do have to pay double this, then we have to raise our prices to still at least cut losses, right? It becomes this whole juggling game. So the overall message here is the market for media rights is softening. It's been strong, especially live sports and live events. It's been strong for a decade now of this is what everybody wants. Netflix wants to jump into this. Amazon wants to jump into this. We've, we've heard this over and over. I believe it is starting to soften. They'll still want it, but they won't have the same appetite to spend because that's just what happens in a downturn, right? Any economic down cycle, that's what happens. I think that's part of the reason why Vince McMahon on the WWE side is coming back and trying to sell now is before that downturn really hits and kind of slows everything where maybe they don't get the right steal they want. Nobody buys them. They have to, you know, pay people a certain amount. He's trying to get a deal done to get his money and get out before things start going south. Wouldn't be shocked at all if that's why this is happening. Um, and from the UFC perspective, right? Endeavor, I, I know... John Nash had mentioned something about Endeavor, um, you know, possibly selling to the Saudis eventually because you had that story with WWE selling to the Saudis. Uh, I, I don't think that will probably happen because I believe Ari Emanuel wants this entertainment empire, right? Um, the character Ari in Entourage is based off of him, which is not a one-to-one -one translation, but I think they probably had some of his personality traits here. And if you, you look on... Some of his old interviews, like Ari takes on the world, Ari Emanuel takes on the world stuff. Like he clearly, in my opinion, wants, and this is just my opinion, he wants to build this entertainment empire and he wants to rule over it all. That's part of the reason he went in big on buying the UFC and trying to do on location and all this other stuff. So from his perspective, he wants to get the best media rights deal. He doesn't want to sell the UFC or anything like that. And you still need the UFC to churn out the necessary profit because the other business units that Ari has built, while they're getting better, they're still not, you know, ready to kind of be on their own yet. You still need all that revenue from the UFC, which is really pumping the lifeblood through Endeavor. Um, and yes, interest rates are rising. That's putting more pressure on Endeavor. I think only if they get back into a corner would he even consider selling the UFC. Um, and because he has the share shares, Right, him and Patrick Whitesell, and they they have the controlling shares, much like Vince McMahon, WWE. I really I think it would take a lot for that to happen. But with the market softening, if the UFC can get any type of profit, which I'm sure they can at least get a a gain, right? They're going to take it. Will ESPN have that appetite? I don't know. Because Disney has already talked about, there's been rumors for years, and I think they're only increasing now, they've talked about spinning off ESPN, right? And you do have, um, you know, Warner Bros. Discovery making big movie cut costs, I'm assuming to free up money to go after media rights. Uh, the um, David Z, I forget his last name, uh, but the CEO of um, Warner Brothers Discovery has openly said he likes the idea of going after UFC rights. And Amazon obviously liked those ideas, although Amazon is cutting back staff and they're kind of reeling from the post-pandemic highs. Where in, during the pandemic, they were making so much money, everybody was ordering everything on Amazon, et cetera. Now they're kind of feeling it. Um, there's going to be competition out there. The question is, 
will UFC and Disney have the appetite to keep the UFC? I don't know. I think the UFC will make an increase in their rights. I don't think they'll get double based on when the deal is up and where I expect the economic downturn to be. That's just bad timing, right? You can't deals up when it's up. If it's, you know, meteorites are up in a recession. Well, too bad. You've got to make the best deal you can. Um, I, I expect them to get an increase, but I don't think they'll get a hundred percent. And I, I'm honestly torn about whether or not they'll stay with ESPN. I know, um, John Orland from sports business journal thought they'd get a deal done. Um, lots of people are saying it makes sense for them to keep the deal. And it's true that ESPN plus has really experienced a huge amount of growth because of the UFC. And if you take that away, how much does that hurt ESPN plus? I'm sure they're crunching the numbers there. It might be worth eating some of the extra cost and then raising prices, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's a very interesting time. And obviously Disney and ESPN weren't super thrilled about pay-per-view numbers this past year, which weren't that great. Um, I know there's been a couple of, again, false numbers out there about uh, Adesanya pay-per-views. We don't know any of the pay-per-views other than Oliveira and Gaethje were 400,000-ish and was the highest of the year up until that point. So you'll see other people say like, oh, Adesanya made 500. They're just, again, pulling numbers out of their ass. They're completely wrong. Ignore them. You need to ignore them. Um, it, it's getting to the point where people are getting better at hiding and making it seem like they know what they're talking about. And it's just like, nope, this is easily false, right? Uh, still happening, which is infuriating. But regardless, um, yeah, it's just a a, a scenario where I don't know that UFC re-ups re with ESPN. Given all the troubles Disney has had, given the rumors of ESPN being spun off, which have only intensified, and I truly believe that's what Disney wants to do, is sell off ESPN as a unit. UFC might stay with ESPN if they you know, are bought by somebody else and that person wants you know, UFC rights. That makes sense, but I, Disney might be out of it then, right? Um, and if Disney keeps ESPN, how much are they willing to cut? Because it's clear as of right now, ESPN is part of the loss leader. It's it's something that is an iconic brand. I don't think it's going away, but we saw, you know, during the decline of, of television rights where we saw all those ESPN people laid off. I think you're gonna see more of that. I think you're gonna see more cost cutting measures. And one of those measures might be like, look, we got ESPN plus, but it's losing us too much money. Sorry, UFC's gotta go and we'll still end up saving a fair amount of cash because we're not paying these crazy rights deals. I'm sure they're, they're talking about it internally right now, even though it's not up for another year. Or so right year and a half, two years. So keep an eye out on that. Um, again, thought it was important to bring up because you're gonna see, I expect to see more macroeconomic downturn signals and you're probably going to end up seeing either deals getting done quickly because they want to get done now before things get too bad a la wwe or you're going to see kind of this prolonged series of events where things may change quite a bit because it's going to be about who can actually 
pay the UFC enough money um, and what happens there. I mean, and again, Bellator might get spun off and bought by Disney instead. Like, forget UFC rights. We've got Bellator. We own Bellator. We actually make more money off of that. A uh, lot, lot of moving parts here. PFL, right? If that starts to take off with Jake Paul, maybe Disney says, we got Bellator, we got PFL. We're going to make less money um, overall or going to make less revenue overall, but more profit because we've got less costs. A lot of interesting moving parts here. So, no, that was a long one. Let me know your thoughts on all this. Um, again, thought it was important to bring up now because I think these conversations are only going to intensify. So let me know your thoughts and feelings on all this. Do you think ESPN will be willing to pay and take more of a loss to keep the UFC and Disney will back that? Do you think that Disney may cut ties, especially given some of the financial turmoil they've had in Q4 in 2022? It's a tough one. It's a, it's really a tough one and it's interesting. We'll see. We'll see where all this goes. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Fight Business Podcast. Uh, let me know your thoughts on everything. Again, some interesting times we're in. Some real interesting times. We'll see how everything shakes out. But um, big things still coming in 2023. I know this was a shorter episode, but got more stuff planned. Uh, very excited about it. Love you guys. And until next time, get money.